Today on the podcast, join me as we embark on a profound journey with none other than Callista Cooper, the visionary director of learning and development at Vendasta. Her passion and relentless pursuit of cultivating exceptional talent have transformed organizations and elevated teams to unprecedented heights of achievement. In this episode, we peel back the layers of conventional wisdom, diving into the very essence of what it takes to create a culture of perpetual growth and advancement. Callista's unparalleled insights and innovation strategies will empower you to revolutionize your approach to employee development. Prepare to be enthralled as we unravel the secrets behind crafting personalized training programs and harnessing the transformative power of cutting-edge technology. For all the trailblazers, the visionaries, and the forward-thinking leaders who understand the pivotal role of continuous learning, this episode is an oasis of knowledge. Brace yourself for a paradigm shift as we delve into the extraordinary possibilities that lie within the realm of employee learning and development. Today with Callista Cooper. Cal Cooper. Yes, Josh Singh. Thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I, I've been really looking forward to this one because I think learning and development is it's kind of caught fire. Uh, and not just kind of the SaaS industry, but everywhere. People are wanting to figure out how to best train and care for and help their people learn. Um, so... What I'm interested in knowing, though, is how the heck did you get here? <laughs> I, <laughs> I ask myself the same oh, question. Come on, Cal. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your okay. journey, your leadership journey, where, where you've headed, and, and the team that you have now, and how, how great they are. Oh, man, they're the greatest. I don't know how that happened. I'm just very lucky. Um, okay, so I love learning. Mm. I think everybody knows that. So I myself have been an avid collector of um learning experiences. So I have a ba- I have a background in uh, business yeah. from the Edwards School of Business. Great. I have my marketing degree. Yeah. Um, I worked in marketing for a few years. Uh, I don't know if you know the brand uh, Crocs. Oh, uh, yeah. just just a little brand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a little brand that's blown up again, which is ridiculous it's great. and awesome. Um, the Saskatoon version was dogs. Okay. D-A-W-G-S. Dogs. So, yes. Okay. I was their um, social media and brand marketer for wow. a few years. Okay. Out of school, that was interesting. There were high-heeled dogs, uh, golf dogs, multi-brands. Wow. It was an adventure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> high-heeled dogs. High-heeled dogs. Interesting. I have photo evidence. And actually, there are high-heeled Crocs now. Wow. And they are catching fire. Yeah. You know what? They should have stuck around. You know, they, they were just, have. they were too early. Um, yeah, I had a few other, um, I guess, jobs before I found that maybe this wasn't my career. Mm. I don't think marketing was my voice. Um, I think it's helped me get where I am. Mm-hmm, but sure. I realized that I was really interested in helping people learn. Um, I loved learning myself. And so I went back to school to get my art education degree okay which i did um and then i taught um, art and reading programs for four or five years wow 
it was fantastic. And you talk about my foray into leadership. If anyone tries to say that leading a team of five is more difficult than leading a team of 30 11 year olds I will <laughs> I will fight you <laughs> I love that uh, there's a lot more overlap than you think there would be sure um, you know taking care of the holistic the whole person and, mm-hmm. and listening and um, I guess growing from servant leadership to situational leadership right. um, applies there too um, anyways, the third foray into formal education was the, my latest master's in instructional design. Mm-hmm. And after I completed that, um, this opportunity came up at Vendasta. Um, lovely human by the name of Jacqueline Cook mm-hmm. was like, hey, I work for this wonderful company. And I'm like, oh, yes, I've heard all about it. Um, and they were hiring for an instructional designer, which was right up my alley. I was living in San Francisco at the time. And my husband was like, if you can get a job in Saskatoon, something that you love, I guess I'll consider coming back. Wow. So it all worked out right before COVID. Um, Locked myself in here in Saskatoon and haven't looked back. I remember it was like my second week, I think. First day with Vendasta. And I was pulled into a room talking about what we were going to do to capitalize on this new learning market. Wow. And then it was week two that one of the executives... Um, I'm just going to say it's lovely George Leith. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I think verbatim was when he found out my role, you know, instructional designer and what I could do to help him. Um, I had no fucking idea that this was somebody's career. Okay. (laughs) Sounds like George. Yeah, you can beep that out. (laughs) Um, But that's that's how that started here and and talking about learning of course everyone thinks like learning programs training right I think it might have started back in the day with Rylan okay and then it was you know transferred over to Sanjay and 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 moved its way through people ops and software and um, R&D and all those different lenses when it comes to learning because it's so multifaceted sure. and it hits all those different pieces we were a product we were people were process were everything um, and I think it's grown over the years to something that's pretty impactful and we continue to learn as we work with all these different amazing brands yeah um like broadly and yesware and matchcraft and calendar hero and all the different things that you learn from different people right different experiences and different processes coming in so that's the thing i think that defines our team the most um is learning from each other and from the different people that we are constantly meeting internally and externally and we have a lot of growth Mm-hmm. and opportunities for growth in L&D at Vendasta and everywhere else. Um, but I think we're capitalizing on what we can. Yeah, And well, it's been a lot of fun. Tell me a bit about your team. Oh, man. Aren't they just the loveliest? So <laughs> we have uh, the uniqueness, I guess, of um, solving learning problems mm. for internal, so employees, yep. um, but also for external, for partners. Um, so it's pretty multifaceted. We have two instructional designers. Yeah. Yeah. Juliana and Loretta. They're incredible and they're incredible in different ways, which makes our team so impactful. Yeah, um, I love that. You know, looking at data and kind of a driver's mindset yep. and then this incredible storyteller and weaving all those pieces together, you know, from a pioneer and integrator perspective. Um, and then we have uh, Aaron who kind of keeps... You know, like, oh, you're the director. You probably keep the ship running. No. <laughs> no. That's Aaron. 
Um, she has this incredible guardian brain, um, but she she'll say she's not a driver, but she is. Yeah. She drives all these things forward, puts all the pieces together um, from a generalist centralized perspective. Right. Um, and she's really helping us capture what that now means mm. from um, the perspective of all these different brands. So if we have a new person coming in, uh, in, in selling direct or yeah. um, selling Vendasa platform, it, there's multifaceted things you need to know coming yeah. in if you're an uh, employee based in the U.S., in India, but then selling you know, different products or, or working in a different um, kind of capacity as the person who might be onboarding next to you. So what does a training program for that look like? Yeah. It, so, <laughs> so, you know, three years ago when you took on the role and if anybody would have told you, hey, you're going to lead a team, two, you're going to be doing integrations for an M&A strategy in the way that we take on certain things, acquisition specific, um, what would you have said to them? <laughs> oh, that would have been my response, oh. I think. Oh, okay. Um, I think growing into leadership was something I've always been interested in, mm. but it's scary. Yep. You want to be able to be uh, a sounding board and a coach and a mentor right. for somebody or a team of somebody's. But how do you know if you're meant to do that? And you're not always meant to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, who knows? I guess to be determined if I am as well. <laughs> but um, you're, you're doing a great job, Cal. Don't worry about that. We'll see about yeah. that. But um, yeah, I think coming from an individual contributor's perspective, and then moving into management, I mm. think it's harder to, um, I don't want to say like let go of your baby, but sure. you know, like the practical, I came from instructional design. Yeah. And so I design courses less, I design learning experiences less, but I think yeah. about those strategy components. And so how do our different brands fit in and what is our remote strategy for learning and yeah, how do all the software pieces fit together? But um, yeah, I think I would have just said, huh. Let me think about that and yeah. everything at Vendasa goes so quickly and, ad and moves in an agile way. I think we've just responded accordingly. 100%. Um, but I didn't finish with the team. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, okay. you're allowed. Okay, great. Um, we have Curtis. Yes. Yes. Driver. Yes. 100%. Um, he's like the grade one teacher when you come in. So he leads all of the sales training. Yeah. And it's a beast of a program because we have a beast of a platform in the best way. It just delivers so many different values yeah. and um, value propositions. So he has an immense understanding of these and he holds his learners extremely accountable. Mm. And the first thing he asks is, um, you know, how do you want your feedback? And let's make sure that it's uh, honest yeah. and impactful and authentic. It might be uh, intense, but... Um, that's kind of what helps, you know, hold them accountable. Like grade one, you want a teacher that's going to do that. Yeah. You don't want a teacher that's going to like, you know, set you up for the, the soft skills and the fluffy stuff. You want someone who's really going to drive you forward. Yeah. And, and Curtis takes extreme ownership over that program. And we have Joe Jomlin. Um, he is out of our team in India. Yeah. He's incredible. 
if you've ever had the opportunity to hear him public speak, he is the most animated and engaging facilitator I That's think great. I might have ever heard. Um, and he runs a lot of our programs out there. And we just recently um, snatched Tegan from Marketing Services. Yeah, that's right. And um, she's going to be kind of running and coordinating program management Great. and leading our new Hire Academy um, program, which is fantastic, and we're really happy to have her. That's a, that's a great team. It's a great team. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I you know, I, I think when we're talking about learning and development strategies, like I said at the start, this is becoming one of those pieces, especially post-pandemic, um, that now people are looking at even more so. I think the pandemic did something in terms of understanding that, hey, people need to learn. They need to learn in different ways. If we're uh, you know, integrating new folks into a workforce, how do they do that effectively when they literally can't get together in the office? And from there, it was kind of the snowball effect into LND is vitally important. Not that it wasn't before, but now there's a, a, a bigger emphasis irregardless of the vertical. So when we talk L&D specifically, for you and the team that you're leading, what are some key components of a successful employee learning and development program, in your opinion? Okay, in my opinion. Um, the first thing that we do when we're designing or redesigning a program is map business outcomes to mm -hmm. learning outcomes. So naturally, as someone in L&D, you always think about learner outcomes. Okay, right. what's this experience gonna deliver for them? Um, what are they expected to do? How are they gonna change their behavior? But mapping that directly back to business outcomes is vital mm -hmm. so that you're not only answering the question of, uh, okay, what do our learners need? You know, that side of needs assessment, right. but top down as well. Like what does the company need and making sure that you're really driving those pieces closer together. Right. And, and how do you, how do you ensure that that's cascaded effectively to your team? Because if business outcomes are kind of the ROI of a particular piece, or this is what we're trying to achieve, how do you cascade that so that they get the right vision of what it is that they need to be doing to be able to develop the right programming or create the right um, course, let's say, for that in our you know, LMS? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we use a lot of systems for productivity. Mm. Um, I am a process person, I'd say even more than a people person, which is bizarre because I'm in people ops, but um, I think those pieces fit so well together um, and you can't have one without the other. So yeah. we rely on um, Atlassian products. Yeah. So Jira, Confluence to kind of tell that story and hold each other accountable. We also have different team meetings every week, but we don't necessarily talk about like, okay, this is... Uh, how we're going to get there. Right. We talk about where we need to go. Um, mm. We make visual note of business and learner outcomes, mm. but then how they get there is up to the team members. I mean, they're mm. the experts in their domain from, you know, Curtis, who's sales and sales yeah. enablement and growth, uh, to Juliana, who's, you know, got this amazing brain for, for data and making sure that our learners are driving in the right direction. Um, they understand how best to get there. So we need to make sure that we're communicating what it is and where we need to go, but they, they mm. determine the how. Which is interesting because you're a very ambitious person. Okay. Uh, based on what <laughs> I've observed, how I've experienced you, like you're very ambitious, but you said something just now that I thought was really interesting around they're the, 
they're the subject matter experts in their domain. Let them run with it. Mm-hmm. How, when you're an ambitious person and you have a team of folks and there are business outcomes that you have to map to, how do you develop that trust with right. those team members to be able to just kind of let them go and do what they need to do? Well, hiring the best. Yeah. <laughs> hiring the right person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a really difficult process. Mm. I can talk to you and Kim and Steph and Julie and everyone else about that. But um, once they're they're in the door and they're moving full speed ahead, I guess just asking questions. Right. Um, building a foundation of um, transparent communication. I am a full believer in managing up. I have a couple team members who exercise that regularly yeah, with yeah. me, and I love it. Um, I'm not the expert on being a manager. Right. I've been a manager f- at this company for under a year. Right. I'm learning every day, and so I ask a lot of questions. I ask what they need from me. That's so good. Um, and I say, okay, well, in return, this is what the business needs, and I remove myself entirely whenever mm. possible. Yeah. The- that's massive, by the way. I don't know if it's massive. Oh, it is. Because I think lots of times when it comes to leadership, people assume um, that what people want is somebody that can just dictate exactly what it is that they need to be doing. And what we're finding with a lot of millennials and Gen Z and a lot of the, um, the literature is that people want exactly what it is that you're giving them. The autonomy to do what it is that they need to do uh, but have the guidance in terms of direction. Um, so when we talk about your your focus of learning and development, though, like what, in your experience, what have companies done that might be mistakes uh, in terms of how they get to those particular ends of the right programming or the right courses or the right design components so that they can get the most out of their people? Because what I'm hearing is, you release your folks to go figure that out to make sure that they're doing it on a need-based assessment that's tied to the mapping of mm-hmm. business priorities. But what have you seen other companies do that might might be more narrow in focus and might be hurting them without them even knowing that? Yeah, um, and I mean, we are guilty of it as well, but mm. um, I think it's very easy and natural to, when you think about uh, a bigger company like we're growing into, Um, a top-down approach this Mm -hmm. is what we need from business outcomes you know x so please deliver y and it will result in z and um, we often don't consider the other side Mm -hmm. you know bottom up as much as we should Um, and constant learner assessments and what do they actually need and how do they need it Mm -hmm. how do they need it delivered and so making sure that um, every team member understands the value of assessments and feedback hmm. and compiling that feedback and iterating programs based on that feedback right. instead of the set and forget, which I despise. <laughs> it's my least favorite <laughs> thing. And we're very guilty of it when we think about um, being agile and right. moving forward and talking about growth. But if we don't maintain what we have and make sure that it is valid and reliable and impactful, uh, from the top down and the bottom up and with every stakeholder involved mm. regularly and routinely, we're going to miss the mark. Right. I, I've i noticed you do that, especially from our world. Like we, we have something at Vendasa called the Vendasa Leadership Academy. 
We do. And you know, I get to I get to teach some 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 of the sessions in there, which is really good. Coach Singh. But what I've noticed with you and your team is is this voraciousness around assessment of the program. Yes. I think we've so we've ran it. I don't know, maybe five times now. We're in the fifth time. Yeah, I we're think. in the fifth. Yep. How many times have you made iterations on that? Five. Yeah. <laughs> to your point, yes. right? Like I think this is something that you live out on yes, a regular basis. Absolutely. Uh, and as as you've made those iterations, how have you felt like it's made things better? Um, I think it's it's harder f- to measure the quantitative sometimes sure. when you're in iterating and developing programs like this. So we do focus a lot on the qualitative. Um, we are looking at managerial assessments mm-hmm. and, and self-assessments of confidence and comfortability in different areas based on our, you know, managerial frameworks and, right. and leadership principles and things like that. But um, every time we get a few different pieces of feedback in certain buckets um, or we hear from the business, you know, this is how we're going and growing, mm. we need to make changes. So when we um, escalated our M&A strategy... Uh, we added a session in leading hybrid and remote teams yeah. because a lot of those team members and a lot of our team members coming out of COVID are remote or right. hybrid. And we need to make sure that our team members and our leaders are um, coached in a way and, and helped in a way where they understand, well, mm. that changes from a you perspective. Right. They don't need to change the way that they're interacting uh, with systems and, pr- and processes and people. You need to understand where they're coming from, right. their time zone, their customs, their processes, what's working for them, and bring everything together into a team that works well. So how do you then, as a leader of an L&D strategy of a company, say, we've asked the assessment questions, we've gotten stuff back. How what's what's too much what's not enough um i think sometimes for some folks that might be leading lnd strategies that might be listening to the podcast there's almost this fear of well if we ask the question and people give us the feedback <laughs> are we just going to be changing everything every month um and and i know that could probably be a fear of some folks that are leading those types of programs and companies but what would you say to them how would you encourage them around assessments and and responding to that feedback um, I guess the first and most important step is com- taking yourself completely out of mm. the process, which, I mean, if you've been building something for eight months or you are, say, a coaching facilitator <laughs> for six out of the eight sure. sessions, um, how do you remove yourself completely so you can look um, at the feedback without sure. any kind of biases um, and then act accordingly? And no, we do not change everything. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, Good. That would be, I think, jumping... A little bit too quickly, 100%. but when we hear the same things over and over again, you know, we love this certain session on this because mm-hmm. we want the practicality. We really found that putting things to practice, you know, in the form of experiential learning right. and listening to others in the form of social learning, those are the most impactful pieces of the program. So how can we facilitate the how parts of that right. um, to to help everyone feel a little bit more uh, integrated, engaged, and successful? Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Your your philosophy around learning, I've, I've really appreciated it. But you do you do really emphasize experiential learning, mm-hmm. social learning, mm-hmm. and then tr- kind of traditional, um, the formal, the formal yep. training, right? So so talk about why that's so important to have all of those components as you're developing training programs, uh, or sorry, your learning programs inside of um, inside of a, an org. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so loosely, we follow this 70 20 10. And that is just the ratio of formal to social to experiential. Mm. But you flip that. So the formal learning is only 10% right. of what we actually consider learning. The social is 20, uh, and the experiential is 70. Hmm. So if you're not taking back, say you have a, a live formal learning session on uh, business chemistry mm-hmm. and what that means for working styles. Um, if you don't have a social learning community, whether it's on Slack or some other way to stay connected, right. you're missing the mark. If you don't have any kind of roundtable mm. discussions or anything like that where you get to hear different perspectives, you're missing the mark on on the social component. Mm. And then experiential is application to the job. So it's almost like homework in right. some formal cases. But then it's taking what you know and using it again and again and again and coming back to the drawing board, accepting that, you know, self-reflection and then moving forward again to experience something new and share that experience with somebody else. And, and where did you where did you come up with that? Is that just something that you've learned over the years and you're you know, uh, education background, those kinds of pieces, or is that something intrinsically that has been, uh, has kind of moved you forward as well in the way that you learn? Um, I think for the most part, we're learning that people are experience driven. Right. Um, but that is definitely not my, um, that's not my thing. 70, 20, 10. <laughs> it's a well-formulated, <laughs> um, approach right. to education and learning. Um, one of our past executives taught me so much about it, mm. Ian Jones, um, and and how that could be utilized for centralized programs, decentralized mm-hmm. partners, the whole approach to it. Um, and I think we've augmented it in a way that works for us at Vendasta, right. but it's built on a very common, standard, tried, tested, and true kind of framework. I love it. No, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think for the folks that are listening that might not have the privilege of having somebody like you on staff, right? To, for them to understand how to get their folks ramped to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's important to understand kind of the philosophy around certain things and how they can apply that to maybe, you know, their, their small business, um, their uh, growing business, uh, because people definitely need to learn, but sometimes it, the approach is, uh, quite antiquated, like just old. <laughs> do it. Let's just do it. And uh, people get lost in the sauce on that one because they're like, I don't, I don't learn that way, or I don't think that way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how important is technology in in developing your learning pathways for the folks at Vendasta? Uh, vital, <laughs> like it is <laughs> in every other facet yeah. of our lives, uh, especially at a SaaS company. Um, it's important that learning is embedded in the flow of work Mm. technology and software allows for that um and i think as we consider i don't always think that we're at the perspective of ai yet but automations for sure right and the the transfer from creation of content to curation of content Mm. is further enabled by software things like chat gbt um moving into a learning management system that offers an AI approach to whether it's creating assessment or developing Mm. smart learner paths. You know, you've, you've started here, this is your onboarding, but then this is your continuous learning path. Um, and leaning on those pieces of software to take the maintenance part of that. So the teams can focus on curation, um, 
and um, gathering data and making sure that the experience mm. is robust and impactful. In, in your year with the team, what do you feel like is the most successful maybe program? Uh, or do you have an example of a program that you've launched off in terms of learning pathways that you're pretty proud of? Oh, wow. Um, so I think we have so many different approaches to programs and pathways, and um, I haven't crafted them myself. So, <laughs> I mean, I've been involved and thinking about where we need to go from a company, but sure. Aaron's taken the, the new Hire Academy, gathered ridiculous amounts of feedback right. from not just users but f uh, or direct learners but managers right. of those learners who mm. are getting the people who are coming in you know really taking track of their time to productivity and saying okay uh, is this working for you is it not again it's that feedback loop piece yeah, yeah, yeah. that she masters every time um but then also we've been looking most recently at company longboarding, mm. which is maybe something we came up with ourselves. It sounds like a fun activity, yeah. and it is, but it's more so, you know, taking a program that's usually over the span of five days, but you have a company of these wonderful, amazing minds coming in, Yeah, 60 people, they can't take five days away right. from their job. Right. So... Um, what does that look like in a span over 90 days? So we're iterating on that, and we're really excited to see what that looks like. But then also in our um, sales academy recently, Curtis has explored what it means to take um, SDRs in Saskatoon, in Boston, and in Chennai, in India, all at the same time, mm. and ramp them and reduce time to productivity at the same time. So to say something that I'm proud of I think is just like the the work that the team has done yeah. over the past year to evolve these things yeah. in the crazy and augmented and agile ways they have well spoken like a true leader that's that's all I'll say about that um interesting enough though you you just said something that I thought was very for me I it, it kind of blows my my head open so many different people from so many different companies mm -hmm but so many different skill sets and so many different roles. Yes. How, how do you do that from an, from an L&D perspective within an org, right? Like we have so many divisions, uh, Vendasta does, and I'm sure other companies that are listening also do. And it can get daunting, this idea of how do we map skills? What does that look like? How do we develop? Because you talked about uh, time to productivity. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that we have folks getting there so quick, I mean, you're, you're obviously doing something really well. But how do you do that when the role specific is different, let's say from an R&D perspective to sales? Like that, that seems wild to me to kind of try to map that out. But, but how would somebody do that? It is pretty wild. Um, so we have kind of a hybrid pro approach mm. when it comes to functional training. We have centralized and decentralized that work together. So when it comes to centralized, we have our central people ops programming. Mm -hmm which is for you know the general management population, yep. general onboarding. Everybody gets these certain programs and experiences, uh, no matter where they are geographically or mm -hmm. what their role is. Um, but then when you think about the functional, um, so if we yeah. took marketing services or we took sales, for example, um, you don't want somebody from core people ops, <laughs> leading, developing, no. um, <laughs> being the architect, of the knowledge yeah. that needs to be ascertained um, sure. and delivered upon 
because they're so far from it. So you need that function to own kind of like an SME perspective, right. subject matter expert perspective, um, designing with them the learner outcomes mm. and, and how they're going to map to business outcomes like time to productivity, you know, measuring those softer things like ENPS, which um, help determine the cost effectiveness metrics of those programs. Um, that all you do working together. Uh, make sure you have a working agreement for that, mm. or at least one in the works. Um, what do you mean by a working agreement? Flesh that so out a little bit. Working agreement. This is something we're experimenting with um, with our team for the first time. R&D has used it forever. Sure. Um, they've done a lot of things They've forever. done a lot of great things Smart forever. Yes, yeah. I know they are. Um, but it, it just involves a something simple between mm. a um, service division and a functional division hmm. with say maybe it's us and sales sure uh where does accountability get split not shared mm. it's not shared accountability it's split so that you know where you're delivering who's connecting with who those connections um, and who's delivering on those different pieces hmm. um, and that's how a decentralized approach to training can work and right. when it comes to learning and um the strategy general strategies around learning and development that comes from our team yeah and then uh, the training is more of like a functional approach so that we make sure they're getting the knowledge that they need in the way that they need it i, I love that it's so collaborative yeah that it's not just a training or you know development team or a learning team saying well this is what you need to do so just go do it i think like the fact that you're pulling all of that information out of folks that are that are actually doing the work with these people on a day-to-day -day basis uh, and getting what's what's best practice what does good look like mm -hmm. is massive because mm -hmm. um, otherwise they're just relying on you and your team and that can lead to a lot of how do you say uh, conflict <laughs> with with some of these folks because ultimately you're right like how how would a people function really know how you know to develop code oh yeah I, we know, would miss the mark every a hundred percent so i love the collaboration yeah. i think there's something really powerful there so when it comes to an lnd strategy let's say there's a business listening or leaders listening inside of a particular business that are just trying to figure out how to do this effectively they've never had one before uh, it's been more informal training or informal learning through, you know, divisional leaders or whatever that is. But they want to centralize things. They want to make sure that there is maybe that key, that single threaded leader or the, the, the team that is looking to help everyone in the company learn and grow. Um, what, what advice would you give them if you had to restart everything again? How would you do it differently? Oh, wow. Um... You know, I wasn't the original architect at Bendasta of, of how things are currently set up, right. but I think we've done a good job of keeping it together and growing it in the direction it's going mm -hmm. um, and constantly making iterations. So I guess um, if you're trying to move from something that's, say, a little more functional mm. or scattered, that's okay. I think that's very natural when you have a company that's maybe in growth stage, say 50 right. employees to 250. Um, and then again, after you hit a certain number, mm -hmm. you go back to kind of a decentralized approach, but um, getting the right people in the room, asking the right questions, um, making sure that there is this shared 
um, understanding and passion for L&D and making sure that you're speaking the language for all these different leaders. It means something different Mm. to somebody in sales. Say, okay, we want this L&D strategy. This is how it's going to be implemented, onboarding continuous just in time. What are they going to care about? Um, Probably learning that happens in the flow of work. So how do we make sure that there are enablement pieces um, linked to those formal learning components? Um, Where is it mapped? Where does it live and who owns Mm. it? Um, That's something that that group specifically might care about. Um, If you don't know what they care about, you have to ask the questions. And then you can come together with a strategy that makes sense um, for you. So looking at where you've been um, will help with you um, help you map where you are currently mm. and then where you should be going. So last question. Yeah. Where do you think L and D's going? Oh, million dollar question. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think it's one of those pieces that people are all trying to figure out, but I'm interested in knowing what you think. When we look at companies trying to scale and grow, and leveraging technology and doing all of the things that we need to do, especially with, um, you know, a, a workforce that's coming up that just is just learns differently, mm-hmm. thinks differently, mm-hmm. has had different experiences. You know, I think you and I are probably uh, some of the last generations of folks that remember the, the world without the Internet. Did you just date us? <laughs> maybe we maybe I did. I'll um, forgive you. But ultimately, that's a challenge in and of itself. So when you think future of L&D what does that look like in in your eyes? Um, in my eyes, I think it's a shift in mindset mm. where learning is not time away from the job. It's time on the job, hmm. making yourself and others better. I think it needs to be deeply ingrained across uh, OKRs, KPIs, metrics, whatever it is from the individual level up. Um, I think if that doesn't exist, then the personal accountability and a desire to learn is going to falter or cease to exist in some cases, unfortunately. So that kind of commitment, but also from um, an instructional design perspective or needs assessment, constantly looking at who those learners are, what is your design process? If you think about design thinking, like our Zach... Perkins has recently Brilliant. taught a lot about, but um, you're designing around the people and the learner, and they want to learn in different ways mm-hmm. now. They want to add their own content to um, an LXP right. experience platform. Right. You're not managing content as an administrator to give to them. Hmm. You are providing them the space to share the content that they've created with somebody or from their own experiences. So that peer-to-peer learning, somewhere where they can, you know, explore those things with each other and learning communities. Um, It's less about those formal pieces. And so if we're not changing and adapting, we're already behind. Right. Creating everything else. Creating the right ecosystem is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Creating development opportunities for your people is essential to your organization's growth. We hope that this particular episode helped you to embrace the spirit of continuous growth and will help you to channel your newfound wisdom into actionable steps. Together, let's forge a world where organizations thrive, individuals flourish, and innovation knows no bounds. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to Vendasta Lead on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an insightful conversation with industry leaders and experts. 
And don't forget to leave us a review and share the podcast with your network. Your support means the world to us. Until next time, I'm your host, Josh Singh. And remember, when it comes to becoming and being an exceptional leader, don't just wish for it, work for it.